Hello and welcome to episode 138 of the Film Yak Podcast. I'm John. I'm Kevin. And I'm JR. This week we're talking JR's pick, the David Mamet film State in Maine, starring uh, William H. Macy and Philip Seymour Hoffman and, of course, Rebecca Pigeon. And uh, Julia Stiles and Alec Baldwin and lots of other people. Um, the, the the now controversial Alec Baldwin. Oh no, it was bound to happen. We were bound to pick one with him eventually. Well, am I right? Especially considering what happens in this film. That's yeah. why I texted Jr. I was like, "Hey, was this an ironic choice? Was this some sort of like life imitating art?" It was. It was not. <laughs> It is not. Uh, I also found the uh, the lucky pillow and what it said to be to be apropos. Shoot first, ask questions later. Oh Jesus! Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, all too, kinds of things are coming soon? full circle here. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Um, Sorry. Uh, anyway, we'll uh, also be talking about what we watched, as always. Uh, JR just in a frantic frenzy to be ahead of me for 2023. Not true. Yeah, he is. Yeah, don't listen. <laughs> he is. He's dying. I am ahead of you. <laughs> he's so he's so salty about losing last year that he had to watch 40 more films from last year to make sure that he's firmly ahead forever. <laughs> and then start 2023 off by using his entire spring break to get ahead of me. But you know, that's that's okay. That's I didn't okay. have a car for much of my break. It was not, not a fun break. Oh no. That's too bad. But so that's the thing. Um let's uh move on, I guess. Let's start talking about what we watched. There's no trailers or anything, right? I don't think so. I think so. at this point we would have I'm sure there probably is, but at some point, you know, it's like, you know, we just, the Oscars happened since last time we recorded, there's... Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, did you guys watch the Oscars? I did. I did, too. Um, I will say that it's the first time in Oscar history that I can remember since I've been watching the Oscars. I think I started watching like trying to pay attention and watch in like 2002-ish because I remember um, I remember Ben Kingsley being up for Sexy Beast and Defoe for Shadow of the Vampire I believe that was the same year anyways might have been 2001, 2002 I don't know but I remember uh, since then this is the first year I can remember that nothing won that I, that I think I liked <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'm pretty sure I mean, Pinocchio won Best Animated Feature. Yeah, but even that's like, I mean, you know, yeah, that's good and everything, and I'm glad that won, but <laughs> it's not, you know, not like mind-blowing or anything. Well, just, yeah. But like a good movie did win, you're just, okay. you're like, you're locked in to, to feeling negative. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not feeling negative. I'm just feeling, I'm just saying like, normally there's like a, like, you know, you know Dune's not going to win Best Picture, right? But 
then it wins cinematography and you're okay. Well, that's, that's a good, you know, that's solid. And it's just like, there's, there's nothing like in the major categories, nothing good won anything. Yeah. And hardly really, anything good was nominated really when you think about it. You know, and like in all the, a lot of the tech categories, um, you know, Elvis was a favorite. So I, you know, I was mm-hmm. like prepared for Elvis to have this great night and, you know, I fucking hate that movie. Um, and so instead, another movie that I hate won everything. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, and not, sorry, that's not true. Everything Everywhere All at Once won seven awards, most of the things it was nominated for, and I don't hate that movie. I hate I uh, do. All Quiet on the Western Front, which won all the tech awards. Yeah, All Quiet sucks. <laughs> <laughs> this guy. These guys. I mean, I'm not, I don't, I don't, I agree that it shouldn't have won probably any award, but I, I don't hate it like you guys hate it, but I also, I really hate everything everywhere. And, you know, so that's not, that's no fun watching that win everything. It also like, I mean, it just feels like the Oscars are so meaningless already. And now it's like this movie that would have been like a cult classic on VHS in 2002, one best picture. It's just like, I don't know. What is, what does it mean? What does it mean anymore? It means nothing. It means absolutely nothing, right? I mean, <laughs> probably not. Somebody rewatched Exordium. <laughs> yeah, Exordium. Well, well, son of that's, that's, that's not a reference. That's not a reference. But anyway, um, yeah. So that's the Oscars for you. At least nobody got slapped. I thought I will say I thought Kimmel was very funny. Kimmel's monologue was good. Yeah. You went. You were in Jr. I like Kimmel. Yeah, he was, I mean, he was, you know, he was acerbic and, uh, his jokes were good. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I don't, I don't know nope, that no. why he did that joke, but whatever. Do what? It's like, I don't know why we're like pissing on Babylon's grave. You know, it's like, oh, well, I mean, some people you know. liked it, guys. Come on, calm down. I haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah. No. That's another, it's just like Babylon, you know, that would have, like, if that had won something. You know, you could have been like, oh, well, he's Babylon won costumes or something, but it's like, yeah, nothing. There's nothing to look on for that night, except, I guess, yeah, except Pope Pinocchio. Fucking Pinocchio, savior. Anyway. There's got to be a um, movie that won something that was good. I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, I didn't see any of the documentaries except for uh, Fire of Love, and that didn't win. So, uh, and I can't. I think what what did win Navalny is yeah is problematic. It's not great. Yeah, I mean, I've heard some good things about it, but I certainly didn't expect it to win. It has won a really good scene. Uh, yeah, <laughs> which is you know a weird thing to say about a uh, a documentary, but it, it's a good scene. Totally. Totally. <laughs> All right, let's uh, move on to what we watched then. Uh, who wants to begin? All right. Uh, how about I? I take my I take my beating first. All right. Stayed up really late. Um, I was busy this weekend. My wife will be out of town next weekend, so I was like a really stressing out about when I was going to have 169 minutes to see the next John Wick movie. And, 
That was Thursday night. <laughs> I went opening night. <laughs> and uh, I regret nothing. Worth I was, it? What? Worth yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, it was. And I was really worried about the crowd at first because they were just audibly reacting to trailers. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was at a fucking John Wick movie opening night, so people were... Um, you know, like there were some like hoots and uh, people laughing at every joke, even when like the joke was not good. Like at one point, there's like a dog that like pees on a dead body, uh, and they loved that. It's actually probably my least favorite scene in the entire movie. Uh, it's just like it's gratuitous in a very childish way. That one scene. The whole movie and series is also gratuitous in a childish way, but uh, in a way that I find much more entertaining. Anyway, uh, John Wick Chapter 4. Is it too long? Yeah. Yeah, it is too long. Um, is Keanu good in it? No. Weirdly, Keanu is is delivering lines in a, in a way that makes no sense to me. He sounds uh, just weak, very uncool. In like a way that has not been the case before. Like he has, you know, these sort of like manly macho one-liners, uh, and like he just doesn't talk much. In this one, it, I guess just based on the way the third one ended, they wanted him to sound uh, different, and he just he sounds weird. It's weird. He also, I think, I don't. Says, I, like, can we things. can we stop? Can no. we stop and talk about what that means? Because okay. I don't understand. What? How did the third one end? Oh, it ended with uh, him being shot and falling off of a building. But then oh, living. okay, so he's... So he's like, he, he is, yeah. It's like, this movie does not pick up immediately where the last one left off, which is the first time in the series that there's, like, a jump in time. Right. Uh, but he is still, like, injured and weaker. Okay. Anyway, Sorry, I just um, don't... I mean, I haven't seen that movie yeah. in six years or whatever, so <laughs> whenever it came out. Did you even... Did you see three? Yeah, I saw okay. one. Yeah. But anyway, um... The action scenes are really cool. There's one in uh, Japan that I think is probably my favorite. Um, and it's the, you know, this movie has, like, uh, some weird things in it. Like, there's a, a character added, played by Shamir Anderson, who is, uh, he, he feels, like, both fully fleshed out, but also, like, he has no purpose in the movie. And I is like I was wondering, is this like a doing like a spinoff movie that I don't know about with this guy? It was, it was confusing. Um, but otherwise, this movie is uh, satisfying in the way that John Wick movies are satisfying. And if you don't like John Wick movies, you will fucking hate this movie because like, why would you want your John Wick movie to be almost three hours long if you don't like it? So John, I straight up just don't see it. I would not see it. I know you will. But don't don't go see it. I I enjoyed the first film. I do like the action sequences from most of the movies. I think they're fun. I do think uh, you know two hours and fifty minutes is insane. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I don't think that's I don't think that that's an impossible task to say. Hey, make a John Wick movie that's almost three hours. That is good. I, I'm sure they didn't accomplish it, but <laughs> I, uh, I mean, even based on your rating, I think that you're, you're very generous with garbage like this when you have a history with it. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, so I just, but I mean, yeah, yeah, like you said, I have to see it. I mean, I'll still see it. Well, th- my reading also is like the action scenes work and they're, I would say mostly incredible. Uh, but this does have a few more things that straight up do not work for me than the, uh, mm-hmm. than the previous few, than the previous two, actually. Uh, so yeah, my reading is like a, like a compromise. There are some, uh, there are some five elements. There are some three elements and we, we meet in the middle of four. Four stars. Well, that is, I mean, that's honestly, that sounds insane as well. Like to say there are five elements in a, in this John Wick movie. I mean, I don't know, whatever. But I mean, I get what you're saying. I, you know, I, uh, let me ask you this. Uh, yeah. is Halle Berry in this movie? She's not. Oh, thank God. Well, that's, that's going to boost it for me immediately because she's my <laughs> least favorite thing about number three. So yeah, I'm trying to think if there's like one particular performance that you would hate. Um, and I don't, I don't Besides know. Besides Lawrence Fishburne. Sorry. Like a, like a new person. <laughs> right. Oh, right. Right. <laughs> hey, um, did they, did the crowd cheer when, uh, that fellow who just died came on the screen? Was he in it? The fellow who just died. Yeah, the guy from uh, the guy who works. Oh, Lance Reddick. Sorry. Movie. Yeah, Lance, Lance Reddick. Yeah. Sorry, the person who died in real life. Uh, no. Oh yeah, sorry. Sure. Oh wow. Cold. Yeah. Um, Cold blooded. Yeah. We cheer for dogs, and we cheer for. Uh, That's piss. I think what they what they cheer for. <laughs> they cheer for one, like one of sort of like the the mid level goons. The way he dies, there was a cheer for that, which was also weird. Um, <laughs> oh boy! You know, I thought about seeing this on Thursday night as well, and I <laughs> was just like, I thought about it for a few minutes, and I was like, "Am I insane? Who would go see this movie on a Thursday night, opening night in Baton Rouge? Like, it's gonna be a nightmare, you know?" <laughs> so I decided not yeah. to. My theater was not. It was pretty full, but not full. Like, there was no one sitting next to me. Um, oh, good. That's good. Yeah. Yes. Wherever you where know, oh, Sorry, go ahead. It's, it's probably the most packed theater I've been in in a long time. Mm. <laughs> Wherever I sit in a theater, the people sit immediately next to me or in front of me. So yeah. it doesn't matter. I, and I've chosen multiple spots. It always happens. It never is. Unless I'm totally alone, someone's sitting less than three seats from me every time. If there's four people in the theater, one of them is sitting three seats from yeah, me. Yeah, I, I hear it's out of control, and it really mm. pisses me off. But uh, anyway, um, <laughs> okay, well, that's John Wick 4 for you. Uh, I'll go next. I, uh, I'll just uh, – I, I watched this movie from 1994 called Wyatt Earp. Maybe you've heard of it. Uh, it stars um, Kevin Costner as Wyatt Earp, the famed lawman in the Old West. Yeah. They made the movie Tombstone about, and as you know, that's probably the most famous one for you know wannabe cinephiles and actual cinephiles alike. Um, but uh, this one's directed by Lawrence Kasdan, who. Did Silverado and also, uh, The Big Chill 
and he wrote one of the Star Wars, couple of the Star Wars movies. Mm-hmm. He's sort of a big deal, I guess. But um, this movie is uh, also three hours long, like the John Wick film, and probably more egregious, I would say, <laughs> because it's so. It's like paint by numbers for Oscars, you know? It's like they were like, <laughs> like, how can we recreate that magic that we got with Dances with Wolves? You know what I mean? And mm. step one, they probably should have let Costner direct it. That might have done something because I don't know that Kazan's much of a, much of a director, quite frankly. I mean, based on this anyway, I've never really, I've never seen The Big Chill or, um, let's see. Yeah, I've never seen any of his films that he's directed. Um, except yeah, for this uh, one. A best, oh. um, best I mean, like a gentleman. Um, fuck, sorry, I what? can't remember the name. Uh, accidental tourist. No, I'll find it. The big, the big heat. Any well, body heat? Sorry, not the big heat. Body. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I did see. Uh, I did see the the ILM documentary that he directed all six parts of. But anyways, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, this movie is not good. In any way, um, all the performances are not. I would say all the performances, with the exception of one, and I'll tell you who that one is in a moment, are terrible. Kevin Costner is especially bad in this. Like you've never seen him so wooden and stiff in a role in your life. He's a forty-year-old man playing a nineteen-year-old in some scenes, and they like call out his age. And it's, he's 40. Like, it's obvious he's 40. You know what I mean? <laughs> wow. It's Kevin Costner in 1994. And they, like, put this goofy wig on him, and you're supposed to think that he's young. It's, <laughs> he's got this weird, he's got this weird body type where he's, like, thick. I don't know how to explain it. Like, he's, like, he's not muscular. He's just, like, he's all man, you know? He's just, like, he's sort of, he's, like, a big, hulking, husky kind of a guy. Mm. But he's not, like, toned at all. So he's got these weird journalist yeah. scenes where he looks bizarre and he's old and he's gross. I don't know. And um, he's terrible yeah. in this, as is uh, Dennis Quaid. I hate to say it because I really wanted to like Dennis Quaid in this. Like, he shows up as uh, Doc Holliday and he apparently lost 30 pounds to play the role and he was taking it really seriously. I was reading all about it. And he's just so bad. Uh, <laughs> he's just so. I mean, I don't know what they. Like, how. This must be what Doc Holliday is, like what Val Kilmer played in Tombstone, because this guy's doing an impression of Val Kilmer in Tombstone. Like, so that must be, they must have done the same research and like come to the same conclusion, and Val Kilmer just did it way more authentically and better, you know? Yeah. I don't know. It's just not good. Their acts, his accent is so put on and phony, and he's got these lines that are supposed to be charming and funny, and they're just not. And, uh, you know, other people in this, like Jeff Fahey is a horrible actor, obviously, so why would you cast him in anything? Um, Mark Harmon, like, why is this guy in, in a movie? Michael Madsen playing the older brother, Virgil? Like, he's younger than Kevin Costner, for one. <laughs> and he's just, he's just, he's ter- he's so, so miscast. I love Michael Madsen. He's horribly miscast in this. I was reading later on, like he did an interview recently where he talked shit about this movie. He was saying like it's long and stupid and a piece of shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> he, just, he wanted to be in it because he wanted to walk. He wanted to do the OK Corral scene, you know, mm. which is also sort of not 
interesting at all. I'm just not shot very well. Like I'm just everything in this movie it begs comparison to Tombstone, and it's not a good thing because you're just watching and thinking about how good these scenes in Tombstone are. When I don't think Tombstone is like a masterpiece or anything, but it's like it, this makes it seem like it. This makes it seem like Jesus Christ. How like it's like my review. How good is fucking Tombstone? Like Tombstone is amazing compared to this. Tombstone, and I will say though, Tombstone's had, it's got energy. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and it knows what it's doing. Really also, it's, it's telling a story about a specific thing, about a specific part of Earp's life, where this is obviously like the epic biopic. It's starting when he's a child and moving all the way. He's an old man, an old man makeup at the end, you know. It's <laughs> yeah, embarrassing. Okay. Yeah, That's it's bad. Um, and then there's like things like Isabella Rossellini's in this, and she's just totally underused. Like, she has, like, two scenes. She's a... Uh, um, Doc Holliday's mistress, and they just, you know, they just like dismiss her, like she's a whore, and then she has like one scene where she like says, she explains why it's, you know, yeah, I'm a whore, but that's good, and all. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't know. It's just dumb. The one performance in here that I would say is like worthy of praise, Bill Pullman is in this movie as Ed Masterson, who is uh, Bat Masterson's brother. Bat Masterson is played by Tom Sizemore, the late, great Tom Sizemore who is trying to do something. It's, I don't think it's working very well. He's like trying to underplay it, sort of, and it's just not very interesting. But Bill Pullman, his brother, is not bad at all, and he's playing this like, uh, he's like the opposite of Wyatt Earp and, and Bat Masterson. Like, he's not a tough guy, but he's trying to be like, he's, you know, his brother is a lawman, so he wants to be a lawman, and they're telling him, like, you're not cut out for this, like, you're going to get hurt. And he ends up getting hurt, spoiler, and uh, it's the best moment in the film uh, by a mile, uh, both in terms of the action that takes place when he is uh, shot, as well as his death scene. It's Everything about it is really, really good. And as, when that moment happened, I was like, oh, shit, like, <laughs> here we go, you know? <laughs> I thought we were thought we were on to something, but then he dies, and then, you know, that's we still got an hour and 20 minutes left in the movie, so... <laughs> <laughs> it's no good. Um, so yeah, this movie is garbage. I warn you to stay away. Uh, I know Jr. had no plans to ever see this, which is good. Um, yeah. So Kevin, you stay away. And uh, <laughs> will do. Yeah. Um, even if you have like a Gene Hackman retrospective and you have to see everything Gene Hackman is in, skip this one. Okay. <laughs> Just watch the first hour. He's gone after the first hour. Anyway, yeah, this movie is terrible. I will say, I want to say something about the score. The score is by, um, sorry, just real quick. The score is by James Newton Howard, who I don't mind. Like he's a sort of, you know, popular composer, very, you know, Hollywood. But his score, his score is like so over the top and like epic and glorious (laughs) and, it's just like super intrusive and oh my god, it's, it's all, I almost would encourage you to like Google it, like YouTube it, like listen to the score. It's so insane. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you know, it's just very, very like, oh man, very epic. So check that out at your leisure. I might use it as the outro music for this episode. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, that's, uh, that's that. Mm. Okay. Okay, so I watched uh, Mifune, The Last Samurai, the documentary on Toshiro Mifune, which um, 
was fine. Like, I really didn't learn anything more than I would have, you know, just reading his Wikipedia. There was one thing that kind of confused me, though. Like, um, they they spend, like, a good, I don't know, like, five or six minutes talking about how, um, at one point, um, like, in, like, 65, like, Kurosawa and Mifune stopped making movies together, and everybody's like, I don't know why. Nobody ever really explained it. And sometimes people just grow apart. And even, like, Scorsese was on there going, like, yeah, you know, sometimes you gotta work with different people. You gotta go and do different things. But it's like, no, they they were upset with each other because Redbeard took two years to film. And so Mufuni had to keep a beard for two years, so he couldn't do other stuff while, you know, while all this, while this three and a half hour epic is being filmed. And, you know, there's large parts of it that he's not in. So, <laughs> like, just, you know, it, it's, it's like, I, I, I don't get why they had to, you know, like, whitewash that part, but, you know, whatever. Um... It's a great fucking movie, though. I need to watch it Red again. Like, Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, and speaking of great films, I what, com, I finished watching Human Condition two and three, and goddamn, those are some amazing movies. Both of them. Like, burning through his burning through his watches here. Yeah, it's pretty much. Movies. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Yeah, uh, but yeah, like, it's, you know, both of them are, like, very depressing <laughs> in a lot of ways, and there's, you know, like, there's some, there's some hope here and there, and that kind of, you know, goes in and out, and, uh, the ending of, uh, part three, like, the, you know, the, a the actual, like, ending is, you know, pretty depressing, um, but yeah, it's interesting to to watch it and like throughout the whole throughout the whole like kind of process like like it starts off with um the main character Kaji like he's very like humanist like he's running a labor camp but he doesn't want to treat people like they're, you know, slaves or you know less than human beings. He wants to treat them like human beings. And it's, you know, this gr gradually, like, you see, like, his personality shift as, like, you know, he's constantly being undermined in the first one, and then they pack him off to the army in the second one, and they're still, you know, like, hazing him pretty much the entire movie, and, you know, but through all this, like, he becomes, like, a capable soldier and a capable leader, and... Then the third one, like, he's just trying to, you know, get back to his wife and, you know, his normal life. And he's just, you know, constantly being beaten down. And, like, it's very, like, there are parts of it, like, that are very, very dour. Like, it's, um, like, there's a sequence where they're trying to go through these woods. And they end up picking up a bunch of, like, refugees and stuff. And, like, I think they start off with, like, I don't know. 30-some-odd people, and by the end of it, there's, like, seven of them left. So, yeah. Um, highly, highly recommended. Can't recommend these movies enough. Like, 
you know, I would I would say that like, I mean, I haven't seen as much of his movies as I have of Kurosawa's, but um, Kobayashi is one hundred percent worth your time, and I'm going to watch plenty more of his movies when I can. Fuck yeah. Kobayashi rules. Human condition. Those movies rule. Uh, and I tell you what, it's been a long time since I've seen those, but it's uh, it's the the sadness that sticks with you, not the hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially considering the ending. Yeah. <laughs> All right, sorry, I was uh, I was waiting for my next page to load. Okay, I watched a uh, watched a movie on Hulu, something that I've been looking forward to for uh, for a while. It's uh, it's called it is called excuse me something in the dirt which is the latest kind of, um, you know, like low-budget sci-fi, what-the-fuck-is-this movie from uh, Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson. The last one they did was called Synchronicity, which was about, like, a weird synthetic drug uh, and what it did to people in New Orleans. That movie did not work for me at all, but uh, the ones that they have done previous to that uh, I thought were... They're like all flawed, but have such like a fascinating presence that uh, or not, not fascinating presence, uh, fascinating sort of a setup um, that I just I can't uh, I can't look away from them. Uh, this one is two neighbors um, in LA that kind of experience this uh, this paranormal thing in uh, in one of their apartments. And they decide to try and make a documentary about it. Like they get like some, you know, shitty camera equipment and some lights to try and film this event. Um, and they succeed in filming it, which is kind of funny. Um, just it is not it's not hard for them. They're not like struggling to get this thing on camera at all. That's it's just like a given once they have the cameras that uh, is on camera. Um, but then they kind of start thinking about what is causing it, uh, coming up with theories while also arguing about like who they're going to sell this documentary to arguing about what the name's going to be and who's going to get uh, credit for that name and stuff like that. Uh, and it is, uh, it's really weird and it's really funny. Um, I really like Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson and they, this is one of the movies in which they, like they take the lead roles. um, and they're great. They're assholes. They're believable assholes, and I really enjoy them. <laughs> uh, have you guys seen Synchronicity or uh, I think one of them's called The Endless? I've heard of all of these. I haven't seen any of them. Mm-hmm. I want to see something in the dirt. I might still watch it. I don't know. I mean, I'm telling you it's good. Hey. You, you gave John four stars, so <laughs> your taste is dubious now. You've contaminated yourself. <laughs> I mean, Just kidding. No, I, you know, it is. Is it twenty twenty? Is it twenty twenty three? Right? No. Oh, it's not. It's twenty. Yeah. <laughs> You're yeah. like, uh. I don't know. No, this is one yeah. of my. Uh, <laughs> God, this Been was there, a, done that. You know. I think yeah. it was Sundance twenty twenty two, and then released like in October mm. last year. Mm. Showed up on Hulu well, sometime last month. We'll see. We'll see. 
We'll see. Look, I understand that you're not going to do it, and that's okay. Um, How long is it? Uh, like an hour fifty, something like that. <sighs> an hour fifty. <laughs> what happened to like seventy-two minute movies? You know what I mean? So I'm so over these uh, two hours, two twenty. It's brutal, dude. Can't do it. Mm. This isn't two hours. It's almost two hours. It might as well anyway. be two hours. Exactly. You know, it's, like, where do we stop rounding up? I mean, uh, if it's past 80. 70 minutes. And you think it's, no, everything's past 80 is, is two hours. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, all right. Well, I watched, uh, an also, I, I watched a 2023 movie called Inside, not the Bo Burnham, uh, film from 2020. One, but this new one, uh, by Facilis Katsupels. And I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong. I believe he's Greek. Uh, I know the film was, I don't know if it was shot in Greece, but it was like financed by a bunch of like, Greek companies and stuff. There's like the names of them in the credits and stuff. Anyway, this is a movie, a one man show starring Willem Dafoe. Uh, hmm. As an art thief who infiltrates a extremely nice apartment, high rise apartment overlooking what I can only imagine is New York City. And, uh, he unfortunately gets trapped when the alarm goes off and he's trapped in this apartment for days and, uh, starts to sort of, uh, you know, has to figure out how to survive, which is, like one half of the movie and the other half of the movie is him slowly losing his mind because he's all alone and stuck there and doesn't know what to do. And, uh, I'd say it's just like a really, it's doesn't, um, do any of the things that would, that are like egregious mistakes that would be very easy to make with a story like this. It doesn't do those things. And I don't want to say too much about it because I don't want to like give away things that happen in it, but it's like, it's just there are things in the trailer that sort of hint at situations that were making me gag, but <laughs> none of those things actually happen or turn out to be the case for what, where this movie actually goes. So I was really happy to see that. Um, there were a few like instances of like, or just like times when he did, when, like when he chose not to do things or like didn't think to do things. I was like, why didn't you think to do that earlier? It makes so much sense. Why didn't you do that six days ago? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you just figure something out or whatever towards the end. But anyways, it's uh, pretty solid and Willem Dafoe is just great and he's not phoning in it at all. And you could totally see like him, you know, he just does so many movies. Like you would think he would turn in just like a schlock performance here and there. I mean, I guess he does sort of sometimes. Like the John Wick, and he's in the first John Wick movie. Like he's, you know, he's obviously like that's an easy weekend of work for him. But mm. this is like I don't know, man. He's like, you know, I I hesitate to say tour de force, but I mean, he's just like he's <laughs> really in it. I mean, he's doing it. You know, he's like mm. putting himself on the line here and very physical performance. He's having to break stuff and move stuff constantly and it's all him you know there's no there's nowhere to hide there's no other actors to hide behind he's in every scene obviously 
It's, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And I hope that others get a chance to see it. I hope it doesn't just sort of, uh, disappear into obscurity. Cause I don't think that, I don't know actually how it's being received, but I don't hear anything about it. I haven't heard any fanfare about it since it's been released. So mm. I'm just hoping people are seeing it and enjoying it. Who knows? I'm excited for it. Yeah, man, you should have seen this instead of John Wick, but you fucked up. Although I gave this the same score as you gave John Wick, so who knows? You know, <laughs> I mean the same thing. For you. I, don't, I don't know. Uh, anyway, that's inside. I was going to make a f- clever review that said something like, you know, like Bo Burnham should have taken notes from <laughs> from this, but I don't I don't want to rain on Bo Burnham. It seems like a weird and cheap shot, you know. Mm. I enjoyed I enjoyed parts of that special. So anyway. <laughs> Kevin. Okay, so I finally got around to watching John Frankenheimer's The Train, starring Burt Lancaster mm. and Paul Schofield. And so so you know, first, real quick before before hang on before you say anything about this movie, mm-hmm. I was just what was I just looking at or watching, and someone was talking about John Frankenheimer. Oh, that's what it was. It was a, a closet video, a Criterion, uh, the Kyle MacLachlan video. Did you guys oh. watch that one? No. It's I think it's like brand new. He um yeah he talks about being in a Frankenheimer film and he talks about Frankenheimer. Uh, hmm. uh, in a very positive way, but uh, anyway, that sorry. That's just I. Yeah, just I forgot. I was trying to think of like I was like, man, somebody was just talking about Frankenheimer. That's what it was. But oh, sorry, okay. good. <laughs> okay, so the premise of of the film is uh, Paul Schofield is a Nazi in occupied France, and he is a big like he loves art. You know, he's an art file. And so he he sees that the writing is on the wall for Germany. So he's like, okay, we're going to take all these Picassos and uh, Toulouse's and, um, you know, this whole museum of paintings. I'm going to load it on a train. I'm taking it back to Germany. And Bert Lancaster is a French uh, railroad man who he's like a manager. Like he does like schedules and does stuff. Um, so he is a secret resistance fighter and he, he wants nothing to do with saving the train, you know, for like the cultural whatever, like he, he doesn't care. Like he's like beaten down so much at this point. Cause you know, like they keep saying like the allies are coming, the allies are coming. And he's like, everybody's dying and I don't see no allies. So he's very reticent to, try to get this train back from uh, from the Nazis. But, you know, because because it's the movie, he, you know, starts doing that because he sees a way to finally, you know, stick it to the Nazis even more. And so this movie, like, there are large parts of it where it's like, okay, this is kind of, you know, a kind of a typical like Hollywood like World War Two movie where there's like you know heroic characters and these um, random like like this one French uh, engine driver like he's um, 
like he's all he's all in um on trying to like trick the Nazis and stuff, but uh he dies, a whole lot of people die, and it's like it very quickly becomes this movie where it's like like there's a lot of like Hollywood, you know, like we're doing the heroic thing fighting the Nazis, but then like it's very but then it there are parts of it that are just like just plain dark like um like there's a whole lot of people like going behind brick walls and then being killed by um uh what you call it um firing lines and like at one point like they have a bunch of like french hostages on this train and like Bert, like, finally, like, takes out the railroad track. They can't go anywhere. The train is totally fucked. And so, like, now they don't need the hostages anymore. And so Schofield just, all right, get rid of them. And they just shoot 20 people right then and there. And um, do you guys have any interest in seeing this film? Like, do you mind if I yes. spoil the ending? All right. Okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I, don't care. I don't care, but I definitely. Want to I, I, I actually, okay. uh, actually uh, watched. I watched the first fifteen minutes or so of this at some point years ago, and mm-hmm. I don't. I just never finished it. I forget why, but yeah, okay. I, I've been. I've been meaning to see this for a while. Okay. Yeah, it's definitely worth seeing, and uh, yeah, it's one of one of Lancaster's stronger performances. And Paul Schofield's always great. So, oh, I always uh, use the uh, you know the Hamlet with um, Mel Gibson is garbage, but mm-hmm. his scene <laughs> as he's seen as the ghost, so mm. good. Yeah, yeah. So much emotion. It's rare to see the ghost have emotion. It's good. Mm. <sighs> Jr. Yeah. All right. I um. I watched uh, Godland, which is the oh. latest. I'm still waiting. Still waiting for that, by the way. Oh, That's yeah. Cool. Sorry, I did. I did forget <laughs> that. Um, latest from director, uh, isolated director, Hilmer, uh Palmason, which you know. Sorry, I'm sorry, Hilmer. Um And he did a White White Day, which I think that was either. I think it was released last year, but um, it was good. This is about a Danish priest um, who is traveling um, from Denmark to a remote part of Iceland to set up uh, and build a church. And for some reason, also just really interested in in taking photographs. Um, So throughout this entire experience, he is photographing people, photographing the landscapes and, uh, the aspect ratio of this movie, I think, is meant to to uh, to mimic like the the size of a you know a very early photograph, um, which is cool. Um, this movie is beautiful because it is shot all over Iceland, and Iceland is beautiful. Um, but yeah, this uh, the first half of this movie is just this guy trying to get to his location, and you know the terrain wants to kill him. And he's also arrogant and doesn't speak the language and is having a hard time communicate with the people he is traveling with. 
Um, and it's just kind of hell. And this first half of the movie is absolutely incredible. I love hiking. And uh, I love things that make hiking look like hell. Uh, it, it's... In this part of the movie, it almost feels like weird that it takes place in, you know, like the late 1800s, because uh, it just it feels like there is there is no technology, there are no conveniences, except that he pulls out a camera. Um, it just feels weird, uh, but in a very good way. Second half of the movie uh, is you know focused on him uh, building this church or establishing a church, and uh, you know still dealing with uh, a culture clash and not knowing the language well, but is also, you know, dealing with a community of people. And uh, he goes through some some pretty typical uh, priest stuff, I would say. Um, What's typical really good. priest stuff? Uh, you know, just like being um, tempted by the, by the flesh. Oh, oh, I see. Mm. He wants to uh, fuck a child? No. <laughs> Luckily, no, not fucking child. Pretty, pretty typical for a priest. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. I should have been more clear <laughs> about that. Um, but you know, and then just like, you know, he he is like the people's conduit to God, and he has, you know, like a power mm-hmm. power complex, and he's just like, he's arrogant to begin with. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's wonderful, and. This guy, this priest, Elliot Crossett Hove, he rules. Um, the director's daughter is in this, Ida Meccan Hill's daughter, and she plays like this teen and uh, is really good. She was in uh, the guy's last movie as well. So, hey, sometimes nepotism rules. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I am listening to you guys. Man, too. Sorry? We could talk about that with State in Maine. Mm. Yeah. We could. Why haven't you sent it again? What? Why haven't you sent it? Because I haven't been at my computer much. <laughs> this guy. He's trying to stay ahead, Kevin. You see what he's doing, right? I see. He's I not see. sending it, so I can't watch it. Therefore, he yep. stays ahead. Oh, my yep. God. No, I'm sorry. I just <laughs> I haven't. And somebody owes me funny pages. Just saying. Oh, Amazing. You don't have to. You don't have to, bud. No, I, I will. Uh, sorry about that next. Alright. Alright. Um, okay. Mm. I watched uh Scream Six, the new Scream movie, directed again by the uh Bert Bettinelli Olpen Gillett uh, duo. Is that what they're called? Okay. Isn't, I, think, um, I believe I believe so. Well, they're actually credited as their names, apparently, in this one. Uh, so, yeah. And this one isn't as bad as the one they did last year. But it's pretty close. Uh, <laughs> it's got... <laughs> it's got... um Same, you know, General Ortega's back, who's... You know, she's likable, so you don't hate her guts for being in this. Uh, Courtney Cox is in this, who is just... 
uh, it, it'd be it's difficult for me to to believe that these people like Courtney Cox and Dermot Mulroney aren't aware of how bad they are in these movies. Like they have to know. <laughs> it's, and Dermot Mulroney is extra bad. Like, and I like him too. And I'm just like he's embarrassing. Uh, yeah. And this movie, the only thing that makes it slightly passable is that it's way more graphically violent than the first film. Uh, or the Screen 5, rather. The first of the sort of new right. non-West Raven, uh, films. And, uh, you know, that's never a bad thing, I don't think. Well, I guess it could be, but it's not in this case. And there are some interesting sort of bringing it to New York City is, uh, potentially interesting. They don't do a whole lot with it. But there is a this a scene that's in the trailer, the convenience store scene that's pretty fun and uh, you know interesting. And uh, other than that, I that that's you know the the way the the reveal of who the killers is is completely ludicrous and boring, and you don't you know who cares. And uh, I don't know how to make it interesting. I don't know how they would make it interesting at this point who the killer would be. Like, I don't know. I was thinking, you know, I was thinking is you could make scream seven, have the killer loose, have them killing people and then don't reveal who they are at the end. Like make it a cliffhanger. You know what I mean? That'd be the only way you could do it. I think is just don't reveal it, you know, maybe reveal it in the next film or, or midway through the next film or something, or, or another way, maybe like reveal who the guy, this is what I thought they were going to do at the beginning of the film, because there's a murder in the opening scene by Ghostface, but then like he immediately takes off his mask and you see who it is. And then they, they go home and you're like, what the fuck are they, are they telling us who the killer is right off the bat? And I was like, that's an interesting idea. You know, maybe like just mm. know who the killer is the whole time, but no, then that guy's killed by the actual Ghostface, And it's <laughs> just, okay. yeah, it's just like, Oh, great. You know, like, mm. It had an idea that might have worked and you know, piss it down the drain the first 10 minutes. But yeah. anyway, uh, yeah. So I'd say it's a must miss. Uh, <laughs> it just, man, watching screams two through four just like really killed my enthusiasm for, uh, <laughs> for checking out these, these latest ones. Yeah. yeah. I, I still can't bring There's myself also- to watch five. Yeah, I, there's also a ton of like, you know how in the first film you'd have characters like Jimmy Kennedy talk, he works at a video store and he's like the Quentin Tarantino type who talks about movies and he's, he knows all about these, he knows all the trivia and stuff and then he, he comes up with this goofy sort of set of rules, but it's not serious, he's just saying it at a party, you know, and, yeah. now it's like this thing where like everybody, everyone involved, there's like a group of, Four people, and they're all movie nerds, which is, and they're all beautiful, of course, which is insane. Like they all look like GQ models or uh, whatever the female equivalent of GQ is, and they're all they're all uh, movie nerds who know like obscure facts about cinema, and they go to film school, and it's and it's just making like none of it. It's just like I don't buy any of it, and they're like, and they're talking about how like. 
you know, now it's not about sequels, it's a franchise, and there are franchise rules, and it's just so on the nose and gross, and mm. the writing is so poor, it's like piss poor, you know, and uh it's just a big bummer, because that first script by Kevin Williamson is very strong, very good, very interesting, I mean, it's not like, you know, for for what it is, it's a slasher movie, and it's just a good slasher movie, and they just... I don't know what the fuck they're doing now. It's embarrassing, but well, they're also right, I, I saw it hidden Pantarius in it. Oh God! Well, yeah, she's back. She's uh, if there's someone worse than Dermot Mulroney in this movie, it's Hayden Panettiere. She is not an actor. I don't know what she does for a living. She, this woman, it's like she's never been on a film set before with some of her line deliveries. <laughs> it's it's so bad. It's so bad. So, but I'm surprised there's not more of a, of a community of like people with movies like this and uh, Wyatt Earp even, or like you know these really <laughs> just like, really bad movies. I'm surprised there's not like a you know more of like a mystery science theater community around these kinds of films. You know, it's always like some B sci-fi movie from the 50s or something. It's just like why not make fun of this? Like this is garbage. Mm. You know. Uh, I'm guessing Wyatt Earp would be like just too much of a like a time commitment. Yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> no, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm saying it's just I just, I feel like I you know these two movies are like so bad and I'm, ugh, why and haven't they brought so why haven't they brought Jamie Kennedy back? If we can be, bring people back now, Amen, because Jamie Kennedy he was sort of having a moment like a year or two ago where his YouTube videos were getting a lot of views. He was doing these, like, YouTube videos where he was just talking about productions that he'd been involved with and, like, what happened in Son of the Mask, like, why he was in Son of the Mask and, like, how that came together. And I was like, those are – and they're really interesting. They're actually really interesting, like, hearing him tell the inside story of all that stuff. Mm. And then he just, like, vanished again. I don't know. Yeah, it's too mm. bad. I never – you know, I don't have anything against Jamie Kennedy. The guy's all right. He's in Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> He's in as good as it gets, for goodness sake. Yeah, that's true. He and Skeet Ulrich, speaking of Scream. Yeah. <laughs> that is weird, isn't it? Yeah. They're, the, uh, they're like the gay hustler criminal guys. Mm. <laughs> anyway. It's yeah. like, it's, it's, Skeet Ulrich's good in that movie. He's in this movie, too, by the way, uh, as a reflection. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, no. But they do, they do no, make no attempt to de-age him or any, like he just looks like a, you know, 50 year old man like he is, but they have a wig on him. That's so, so again, like Wyatt Earp, it's like he's playing 19 or 18 as a 50 year old, but you're supposed to believe it because he's in a reflection. So you can't really tell, but you can tell he's, he looks terrible. Anyway, uh, yeah, that's Scream 6 for you. Kevin? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I finally got around to watching uh, Wolf Walkers, the animated film from Apple Plus, which I enjoyed very much. It's a, it's a, I don't know if, um, I don't know how many people thought this way, but like, I thought like, yeah, this is a very nice Irish revenge film on, uh, Oliver Cromwell. So, Props to them. (laughs) 
And, uh, I thought the, like, the animation is really good. My only problem with, uh, the movie was, like, it tended to go on, like, it, like, it was, it went on a little too long, I thought, like, you know, there's, there's a point where it's like, okay, like, this is where, you know, like, this is, like, sort of, like, we're reaching the climax here, or, like, very close to it, and then, like, no, we gotta, you know, go down into a valley again for a little bit, it's like, mmm, we don't need to do that. Uh, you know, you you can you can just wrap it up from here, you know. Um, but it's it's still a good movie. It's yeah, easy four stars. Love it. All right, I watched. Uh, All right. I watched uh, the Adjuster on the Criterion Channel, which is uh an early film from Adam McGuinn. You know, who would do uh, Exotica a few years later and Sweet Hereafter. Other such 90s... Uh, the Devil's Not. Yeah. <laughs> some 90s classics and then also some, some absolute garbage. Um, <laughs> much like Exotica, which I love, uh, this also features uh, Elias Cotillaz. Um, and, you know, just, I love him so much. He rocks. I love him so much. <laughs> He's the best. Underrated. Underrated. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like the Letterboxd, Letterboxd plot synopsis for this is simple and also just does not explain what this movie is at all. It's a, an uptight insurance man and his film censor wife become a kinky couple's landlords. Um, and I guess like that <laughs> sort of happens. Um, but this is much more about uh, that uptight insurance man who's, you know, uptight with his family. Um, they bought a model home in a development that was never developed past the one model home. So they live, like, in isolation, like, just by themselves, uh, surrounded by, like, dirt pits and, like, just some sort of leftover garbage. And uh, the film poster has Blaise Cody has with a bow and arrow just shooting out of his window. Um which he does do in the movie, just because there's, like, this old sign for the development. He, like, just shoots arrows at it. Um, but what he does uh, as an insurance um, adjuster, like, he goes to scenes of fires and stuff, and uh, he puts uh, the people who experience those things up in this, like, one motel. Uh, he also has a thing where he sleeps with a bunch of the people that, uh, that he puts up in this motel. And uh, his film censor wife, like, she works for the Canadian uh, like film censoring division, I guess, of the government. Uh, and her thing is she likes to bring a little handheld camera and film uh, the movies that they are potentially going to censor. So she's filming lots of, like, sex scenes. And she says the reason is so that she can give them to her sister uh, to help her learn English, uh, which is great. But yeah, there, <laughs> the, there is this kinky couple uh, that we see kind of sporadically through the first half of the movie um, where um, the wife just likes to, again, be filmed doing just, you know, lots of different like sex things. Uh, and the husband films it and is into it. And 
they do eventually approach Elias Codiaz about potentially using his house to, to film something. Um, but that is such a, a small part of the movie. This movie works for me because it is uh, it's just fascinating and sort of where where the, the you know the, the couple goes is uh, is interesting and it's a movie where just human interaction is really weird. It's like one of one of the reviews from my friends on Letterboxd, like it says from the universe right next door to Twin Peaks season one, uh, and like nothing to do with like plot or mystery something like that, but just like the the tone. Uh, this movie really reminds me of something like that. I think uh, Lencho of the Apes. If you're out there, Lencho, you're right. This does have a Twin Peaks thing. Anyway, um, talk Criterion Channel. It's you know I think I'll just lie to John. I'll say it, it's 89 minutes. Nice. I'll check it out immediately. It's not. Mm. It's 10 minutes longer than that. That's not <laughs> 99's okay. I haven't honestly seen any uh, Egoian, like, I don't think I've seen any, like, of his films good people ones. consider good. <laughs> so you've not I seen The Sweet Hereafter? No, I've only seen uh, The Captive, which is garbage. Yeah, uh, Devil's Not, which is garbage, and Remember, which I sort of like, but it's, you know, it's not amazing. And I saw, you know, uh, to each his own cinema, he does a, he has a bit in that. But no, I've never seen any of the rest of these movies. I've heard of all of them. I've heard of Chloe and The Sweet Hereafter and um, Exotica and Ararat Chloe, and all this stuff. Chloe is a better... It's not, it's not good. I almost feel like it's it's better than most of his movies this uh, century, but yeah, the the nineties his ninety movies are are where where you should be looking. It is strange how he sort of like that. Yeah, it's strange how he sort of uh, fell off after you know I don't know after whatever his last nineties movie was. Yeah, he seemed uh, to fall fall apart. I don't, I don't know what happened. Uh, I think he also just like, started making. Seem to like just start choosing like crummy American studio fare. It's like some of these movies are supposed to be big and just bombed and failed. It also, I feel like it's also a lot of thrillers. Like he's just he's into thrillers recently, like which is yeah. strange because his other his ninety stuff does not seem to be focused on genre at all. And like these are very genre specific, true crime sort of. I don't know. Yeah, there are some uh there are some thriller kind of trappings to Exotica and like I kind of feel like the like the posters, like the VHS cover art kind of suggested a thriller thing. It's like there is a crime and there are detectives, but uh it is not a thriller. Alright. Well uh Kevin, is it your turn or is it my turn? Uh, it's your turn, but I I just want to oh, yeah, forget <laughs> the the zoom ins, the framing. I was enchanted. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. actually, I did watch I watched Scream Six on a cam, so <laughs> <laughs> just shoot but the I damn thing so I could get it out yeah. on the street. 
I actually didn't realize it was a cam. I, I got it thinking because it didn't say it was. And then I was watching and I was hearing laughter and I was like, oh, it's a cam. It's, mm. It didn't look, it didn't look too bad actually. It looked okay. Um, anyways, uh, I watched, uh, the last thing I'll talk about is the integrity of Joseph Chambers, the new Robert McChoin, McChoin film. He did, uh, Killing Two Lovers two years ago, three, three years ago, sorry, Jesus Christ, which was a, um, <laughs> which was a very, very good. And, uh, this movie also stars Clayne Crawford, formerly of Lethal Weapon, the TV show. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, Jordana Brewster, who plays his wife. She's barely in it. That's serious. No. Yeah, it's mainly just him. Right. It's mainly just him uh, in the woods. He decides he needs to learn how to be a a hunter so he can self-sustain. And he lives in an area where he knows a lot of men who are hunters. They just move there. And he's sort of a, you get the idea, you get the impression that he's sort of a a, a city folk, uh, not, not accustomed to the wilderness, but he definitely wants to be, he wants to have that, sort of um air about him but he's not taking it seriously he goes out into the woods with a friend's rifle that he borrows in his friend's truck that he borrows because he doesn't own any of these types of things and uh he sort of just uh the first half of the film is just him sort of farting around in the forest uh you know pretending to be a pretending to be a great hunter and just being a goofball sort of, and it is awesome. It's a lot of fun to watch. And Crawford is just, he's, he's good. He's fun. He's, he's just enjoyable to look at on screen. And uh, some of the stuff he does is pretty funny. And then, um, there's a, a moment, uh, midway through where things change and, uh, you could probably guess what happens. Uh, but I don't want to say what happens at all. And then, uh, yeah, the rest of the movie is sort of him dealing with a kind of crisis, and uh, it's good. He's very good in it, Crawford. Uh, I mean, it's just another strong performance that will go completely unnoticed because, you know, where is this movie going to be? I don't know. You know it's like yeah. nobody, saw, <laughs> nobody saw Killing of Two Lovers. Nobody's going to see this movie, and it's just too bad because uh, his – Specifically, Crawford as a performer is just—he's underrated, underutilized. He should be getting more work, um, but it is what it is. Uh, yeah, it's not—I don't think it's as strong as *The Killing of Two Lovers*. It's not as well-rounded. It's not maybe as well thought out as a concept as it could have been. But it gives—it's um, a vehicle for Crawford's performance, which is the best thing I can say about it. It's his his performance is good. So check it out if you got the time. Oh, and it has again just great weird sound design. I remember uh when we talked about Killing of Two Lovers, we talked a lot about the sound design and the score and there's a lot of that same stuff going on here, just like interesting noises and sounds dropped in to create tone and for effect in certain scenes and it's it's good it's good gotta check it out (laughs) 
anyway, that's I'm out. I'm done. Mm. I got um. Let's see. Um. Real quick, uh, I rewatched High and Low, the Kurosawa movie, because after all the human conditions, I needed more uh, Tatsuya Nakadai in my life, and it's it's damn good. <laughs> like there there are there are stretches where it's like okay, I don't know that we necessarily needed this part, but like uh, Mafuni is as always, you know, is fantastic and. You know, everyone else, everyone else around him is also doing great work. Um, it's interesting too to like, like the you know, I've seen so many of his movies, but now it's like I'm recognizing the actors more and more. And like, uh, one of the uh, detectives is also like the uh, kind of the young apprentice samurai and seven samurai. So it's like, oh yeah, that's that guy, and uh, it's the like I think this is the movie that I've seen where like uh, Minoru Chiaki has like the most hair I've ever seen him have, uh, <laughs> even though he's only in, he's only in the movie for like one scene. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, High and Low is brilliant, easy four and a half. Um, other than that, um, was somebody else supposed to watch Enemies: A Love Story? No. Yeah, Jr. was. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. I JR see. Skips you, out on all. Jr. Who do you okay. think you are? Me? I. I yeah, yes. Right? Yeah. At this point. At okay. this point, I am you. You, Kevin. You are no longer the Kevin of homework. I am the Kevin of homework. Because uh, I, well, yeah, again, just can't get this shit. Together. He's also, you know, he's also two star Ted because he gave a five star movie two stars. Mm. Just like yeah. Kevin mm. likes to do. Yeah, yeah Kevin, I am. <laughs> That's what I said in my text. Like, hey, I'm the one who trashes John's favorites here. Uh, I am sitting right. hard. I'm sitting hard on your corner, Kevin. I'm sorry. <laughs> mm. <laughs> oh. um, yeah, yeah there, as far as enemies, a love story goes, like, I, I don't really have much to say. I was bored through most of it, so... <laughs> Uh, I don't even remember what what is this? This is a uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's a like post World War II um, uh, uh, concentration camp survivor guilt okay. love triangle wackiness. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's I, it's I don't know. I was like I said, I was bored, and so I don't think it's necessarily worth anyone's time. I mean, really. So you're you're letting letting JR off the hook? Yeah. There's a there's a new uh, Peacock show with uh, Betty Gilpin, so I know he's gonna have to make time for that. So (laughs) she's a Um, nun or something. It's like Miss Miss Kate or something. I don't. I I do not know what this show is, but I, you know, I'm I'm off the television with this uh, construction happening in in our basement. Mm. So I sit and watch TV. Uh, and we don't really like to, like the other, like the living room TV is really close to Renee's room and we don't typically like sit and watch yeah. that at night. Um, so yeah, I'm done with television. So that was it. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. I, nice. I 100% Didn't even believe you. I, I'm sure that you're <laughs> very sincere in this. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we will. We will indeed. Mm. I do like Betty Gilpin. Right. She's cool. 
Yeah, no. <laughs> what, who is she? I re- I looked her up the other day because I thought she might be related to Perry Gilpin, but she's not. Oh yeah, she was but in the uh, the wrestling show on Netflix. Yeah, she was in oh, oh, and Whoa. okay. There there was that um uh most dangerous game sort of type deal uh, yeah. with her and um was like Hillary Swank. No, it was a no. movie. It was like uh some kind of like. It caused Betty much Gilpin's controversy. Like the only like survivor of like some like. Oh no, I know what you mean. The, uh, ready or not, right? That, or it's called Ready no. or Not. That's was no. Samara Weaving from the same mm, guys no, who did Scream. No, it was like called like the Hunted. Or, yeah, something like that. So it was like the uh, the right wing versus left wing thing. That's like a political it, thing, right? That's how it was presented, and that's that's why there was like some Fox News controversy about it. Mm. Yeah, that's not what it is. It's just kind of like a little bit, almost like dumber than that. Like it's just really, and like it's really like a, it's a comedy. It's a comedy action thing. Like it's, okay. it's just not very. Like there are no serious political uh, leanings in that movie. Mm. Besides, like rich people are idiots, and uh, well, that's true. And they they do hunt people they assume to be conservative. All right, uh, Jerry, you have anything else? Yeah, I figured I should at least mention uh, funny pages um, because you did give it five stars, and I think it was your number one movie of 2022, right? <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love it. I love it. And, yeah, this this isn't, like, a movie that I, I want to be, like, mean to or anything, but I... But I, I I really disliked it, and I don't. I did. I didn't dislike it because it's bad. I disliked it because what it's doing is just something that I can't stand watching. Um, mm-hmm. All of these sort of, uh, you know, like this kid, this rebellious teenager who's like, I'm not gonna fucking finish high school. I'm, I'm ditching high school. I'm ditching my family, my rich family, and I'm moving to the city. Uh, to live with eccentrics and weirdos and make my own way and be inspired to create my shitty comics. And uh, he does that, and uh, the people that he encounters are gross and (laughs) unpleasant to be around. And then, like, I think it goes off the rails, like, he gets this job kind of working as, like, a, like a like an errand boy assistant to like a, a law clerk basically, and um, someone that this clerk is working with is a former Image employee, uh, and his name is Wallace. He's played by fuck, I forget his name. The hair lip guy. What's his name? Yeah, where are you? You know him if you see him. Yeah, right, whatever. Um, it's just. You know, and this guy is troubled, and we don't know exactly what his deal is, but, you know, he had this this really, like, just rote job at Image Comics, and he was like, I, he says, like, I had no creative responsibilities whatsoever. Like, he, he's a color, <laughs> he's a color separator. Um, and, and his name kid, is Matthew Marr. Thank you. Maurer. Like Bill Marr. So, mm. sorry. Go ahead. And, and, like, I understand, you know, um, our protagonist here, like, 
he is so much less mature than he believes himself to be. And so like him becoming obsessed with this, uh, with this former image employee, um, isn't like totally crazy. And just the way that he becomes obsessed and the way that he just like behaves just was insane to me. I just, I, I hated it. I hated the way he behaves, even if I don't think the way that he behaves is like a, like bad or, you know, uh, unbelievable. It's, uh, yeah, it's just something I really didn't care for. Um, and I, I fucking hate comics and I hate his friend with the long hair and, uh, and the acne and, uh, you hate his friend with the, you hate that guy. I hate, I hate, I hate what happens between them at the end at their house. I fucking hated the teacher at the beginning. Uh, even before that car wreck, I was like, what the like, it's fucking like you don't creepy. Like where he his dick and everything. No, I didn't like that. And you know, and at the time, I thought that um, God, what's, what's the kid's name? It's, uh, Robert. I thought Robert was like in college, and I was like, so this is even though he's like talking about his portfolio. I understand now he's like trying to get into art school, um, mm-hmm. but then like it just is becomes very clear that he's a high schooler. I was like, what the fuck. <laughs> uh, Sorry. But I mean, that's not, it's not like that's not confronted in the film. That's the, oh, yeah, yeah. So, yes. Yeah. It is. It is. Okay. It, it's, it's not like random or anything. It's part of the reason yeah. that the wreck happens, right? So. It is not random. And it, it's not like, it's not like the movie's refusing to engage with the weird things it's doing. The uh, problem I, here with this review, Jr., is that you're not the he's he, see Kevin Jr. is holding back here. He hates this movie, but he's trying to appease me. He's trying I to am, be nice mm, about it. So now I can't I can't defend it because he's not actually saying anything all that negative. <laughs> so yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's he's giving excuses for why he feels the way he feels. Well, it's just not working for me. I just I don't like this uh, this. It's comic, gross. So I the characters are gross. The characters are every character outside of Robert is like just sort of like a visual tick, uh, you know, like like Barry just like has his like scraggly like comb over hair and is sweaty. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think the one line I laughed at was uh, there's that fish tank in that basement hell of an apartment, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. Robert asks like, "Are there fish in there? What happened to the fish?" and Barry's like, oh, uh, he was eaten by another fish. And, and Robert's like, oh, what happened to that fish? And Barry just looks at him and is like, I, I don't know. Uh, and that, the delivery of I don't know was, was wonderful. Well, yeah, I guess it's just a, um, I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not asking you to trash this movie. I know you could, uh, if you wanted to. And I, I just, uh, yeah, all the stuff you're saying that bothered you are things that really work for me. So I, it's yeah. a weird situation because it's like, you know, it doesn't make me think any less of your opinion that you don't enter this film, but it's because you, you have valid reasons. But all those reasons are things that I actually like. So no, I, I think it has to do with uh, one of us has like a good sense of humor and the other one has like a, a gross sense of humor. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, like yours is shit and mine's amazing. So. Yeah. I this love it when hysterical. I love it when a dog pees on a dead body and John McFlore, but I right. can't stand uh, 
to see a guy jacking off in a sweaty apartment. Dude, uh, that's next to someone fun, else. That scene, I laughed so hard when that happened the first time. I was like, I did not. Oh, I lost <laughs> it. I had to pause the movie. I was like, this is wow. Making, I'm gonna pass out. <laughs> 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 it's just so out of nowhere it's, and it's creepy and amazing I, yeah, I love it and I, I, I will say also I said this when I reviewed it but the actor uh, Daniel Zogardi who plays Robert I thought his performance was amazing too but you know uh, that's we all know my take I love the movie so I thought the only like, believable human in this movie was his mom Robert's huh? mom She's played by the girl from uh, from uh, uh, Euphoria, right? Yeah, she's on Euphoria. I don't know. Um, Dizia. Okay. Like the dad is like a little. He's just like too mean. Like he's too much of a dick. Uh, mm-hmm. But I I really liked mom. Who's also I mean. thought all. No, I agree. I think I I also thought uh, that it was sort of a twist, not a twist, but like a reveal that he is coming from means that it's not necessarily didn't understand that he was rich until he goes home for the well, holidays. I guess when mom showed up at uh, at the jail with like the lawyer, I guess I. Assume yeah. something there. But I mean even that's like later in the film, right? It's like I'm just like the early on when he's when he's has uh breakfast or dinner or whatever with them at the diner and he tells them he's dropping out and moving out and everything. I didn't get the impression that they were I just thought they were like normal middle class sort of people, but then it turns out, you know. Then it would which is what for me that's what makes it so much more interesting is that he's also, like us, like you understand him so much more. He's a spoiled brat, you know. He's like he is a, he's, he's a spoiled idiot. Yeah, <laughs> he's 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 a complete moron. But that's that's also it's great. It's like how many movies do you get with a character like that at the center of them? That's that's great. <laughs> he's the hero <laughs> of the film, and he's a total piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, oh, I love it. Anyway. So that's Funny Pages, uh, the number one film of 2022. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I'm out. So, Kevin, you got yeah, anything I'm else? Done. Nope. I'm it. I'm out. Okay, well, let's uh, move on to our main review, State in Maine. 2000, the year 2000 is when this movie came out. It's written and directed by David Mamet. And again, it stars uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. I would say Philip Seymour Hoffman is the star of this movie, but yeah. it's difficult to pin down like a mm. lead role. But uh, a lot of people in this, I, Clark Gregg, Patti LuPone, William H. Macy, Sarah Jessica Parker, Charles Durning. You know, it's just a lot of Ricky Jay, a lot of a lot of mammoth regulars, Julia Stiles, Alec Baldwin. Um, and this movie is about a uh, a movie that's being made in small town America. And it's a clash of cultures. JR, you want to give it, give it to us? <laughs> sure. Yeah. This, uh, yeah, this is a movie I remember seeing, uh, I think I saw it early college. Cause one of my roommates was into it and, uh, I haven't seen it since then. I remembered almost nothing about it. Um, 
that this uh, movie crew has been kicked out of their the original town that they were filming in, uh, which was in New Hampshire, uh, where they had uh, built large sets that uh, they could not take with them. They were being held for ransom. Um, and they've been kicked out because of something that Alec Baldwin's character did. We soon learn uh, that he has been caught uh, with a 14-year-old, with a 14-year-old girl. A uh, lot of jokes in this movie about people just accepting uh, Alec Baldwin's um, pedophilia, which is really fascinating. And then well, we'll get to that later. Uh, but yeah, so they they have moved into uh, to Waterford, Vermont, uh, where everyone shouts "Go you Huskies!" all the time. Go and, you Huskies! Uh, and I would say that William H. Macy is desperately trying to get this uh, shit together so they can start filming in a few days. And almost all the action in this movie takes place uh, as they are prepping in town. Uh, I really like movies where they are making a movie, and I really liked that in this movie they are not yet making the movie. Like, they're not yet filming things. It's all it's all prep and location stuff. Um, and Phil Seymour Hoffman is the writer he has shown up. He doesn't know why they've left New Hampshire. He has lost his typewriter, so he can't write. Um, and he is being asked to make uh, changes. Uh, in fact, in, I knew that I was in to this movie when they kept talking about the old mill. Do we need a mill? Do we need an old mill? Can we cut the old mill? And then uh, we see Philip Seymour Hoffman make a note on his paper by lifting it up to like put it against the glass, and we see that the name of the movie is The Old Mill. Um, it was just a, it was some good some good joke delivery, good reveal there. Mm. Um, and yeah, you know we got all these like stereotypes. Uh, William H Macy is good with people, but is an asshole. Um, David Pamer is the producer who is just an asshole. Um, Alec Baldwin is the sleazebag star. Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker is the neurotic movie star who like has problems and is crying and stuff. And those who are often is, you know, this, this idea of like a, a very like soulful writer who uh, is potentially like selling out uh, his values to, uh, to make this movie. So yeah, a lot of familiar ideas. And uh, I think this movie has a lot of fun playing with those uh with those characters and um there isn't like a ton of plot like this is there ends up being like a, a police matter with Alec Baldwin and uh Philip Seymour Hoffman has <laughs> a romance with uh Rebecca Pigeon right yeah mm-hmm. uh and you know otherwise it's just like a like a 21st century screwball comedy uh, I thought it was funny. I was laughing. It took me, uh, I watched it basically in half hour snippets all day today. What'd you guys think? So I hadn't seen this movie before, but I remembered a little bit from the trailer. Like when, uh, Hoffman's like, that's absurd. And Annie comes back with, so is our electoral process, but we still vote. It's like, that's something that for whatever reason stuck with me for years. <laughs> Um, 
I like this. Can movie. we just real before before before? Sorry, can we just acknowledge that that line is horrendously bad? Like that's that's the oh. worst line in the film, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Best line. I mean, <laughs> best line. <laughs> I mean, it's so bad. It's like it doesn't make any. Like it's not. It's not funny, and it makes zero sense. Like being delivered in that moment. I I was so like that when that happened. I was like, what is this like? David Mamet wrote that line. That is gross. <laughs> That's a gross it's, line. Yeah. It's not like it's at the beginning or anything. I think it's it's like an hour in, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying he hasn't earned the right to have a, a line like that. Uh, you know, by the time he's you know gotten to that point in the film, I have other issues with that scene. But anyway, sorry. Go ahead, Kevin. Okay. So yeah, I I like the movie. Um, Overall, but uh, I think there were like when it comes to when it comes to like the lines, like I have to say, I didn't enjoy those those two dudes who are like always sitting around talking, like you oh, know, yeah. talking shop. Our, our, our about, meta chorus. Yeah, I like especially like I think it was like right before um either right before or right after the uh the wreck like where they're talking and like they're you know very like philosophical and I was like I can do without all this. Uh, right right before that's that's the um the only second chance you get is the chance to yes, make the same yes, mistake yes. and that's what Hoffman is writing down in his notebook when the uh, the crash happens. Right right yeah, I I, I could have done I could have done without that small town philosophizing because like I don't know for me it was it's for me it's kind of ruined after having seen Local Hero because they just totally take all that stuff and just kind of flip it. Um, but anyway, I yeah, like I did, the, I did not think those guys were like I didn't find them to be overused. Like they basically have like you know four four little bits. Mm. Sprinkled, but yeah, okay, sorry. Yeah, um, uh, I for I forget what happens to his character, but uh, that uh, like assistant uh, Bill, he's not in it enough. I really like the back and forth between him and William H Macy, um, like because he's like in the beginning, but then like I don't know, that's at a certain point you just don't see him anymore. Yeah, you talking about the, the black guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like okay. yeah, like yeah, the one I, the one black guy in the movie. Dis- he disappeared, didn't he? Yeah, and I I don't know. Like, there's like probably a, some explanation, but I don't know. Oh, sorry. I, don't know. I was gonna say maybe that's commentary, more more Hollywood commentary. Like, got to get rid of the minorities, you know? <laughs> I mean, maybe or, I don't know. They, yeah, well, yeah, because they do they do make you know, hey, everyone in this movie is Jewish. You gotta know that, like right off the bat. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, yeah. So like, I found the movie like mostly enjoyable. Um, like the, the biggest, like you know, like the line deliveries and whatever, like you know, that's kind of nitpick. Like my biggest problem with it is that the whole like the whole Alec Baldwin in trouble scenario. I think, like, okay, no, the movie is over before any of that starts to happen, as far as I'm concerned. Because, you know, like, they spend a lot of the movie talking about, like, what is this movie about? You know, it's about, you know, it's about this and it's about that. And, like, 
Hoffman getting together with Annie, like that's that's the movie, you know. Mm. And you know, like, sure, like they could have had you know little parts of like the Alec Baldwin you know uh, drama, like more sprinkled throughout. But like, as far as I was concerned, like the emotional like climax of the movie was when they finally, you know, get together. Even though that's like you know. They're constantly being interrupted in the process, but, like, the fact that they, you know, like, they go through the whole thing of, like, Sarah Jessica Parker being nude in his uh, hotel room and, like, um, you know, him trying to hide it from her and, and all that. So, like, we've we've met, like, the necessary beats, in my opinion. Um, So it's, like, after that, it's, like, yes, it's, you know, funny that they you know, go through and then they're, you know, able to make the movie and it's a triumph and et cetera, et cetera. But it's like, nah. Yeah. Like the movie is nah. over minutes in and then you want me to sit through like another half hour of Hoffman's, uh, you know, conscience crisis with Clark Gregg being a dick. Well, and yeah, I, w- <laughs> I, I, would, I would argue that, um, you know, Hoffman doesn't have the romance with Anne without, like, his, like, he's having, like, the, the conscience crisis the entire time. It just, sure. you know, comes to uh, a specific head with the oddball one thing. But uh, but I do love at the end um, that it's very clear that the movie they are making is just, like, a total piece of shit. Uh, just, like, <laughs> this schlocky period piece. And when Alec Baldwin earlier has been like saying like, well, I'm going to say that. Uh, and like, they're talking about his sister, the way he just like says sister constantly to this nun mm. is insane. Um, there, anyway. uh, John, what about you? Uh, your revenge, your revenge on funny pages. <laughs> well, you don't, I don't think you're going to get this movie on five star rating, but, um, no. you might though. Who knows? I, I hate the score. The score is the uh, most egregious fault of the film. It's gross. It sounds like a, a ripoff of like Fiona Apple or Amy Mann or something. I mean, it literally sounds like the beginning of of a uh, of an Amy Mann song. I'm trying to remember which song it is. It's one of the ones from uh, it's Momentum from uh, the Magnolia soundtrack. Anyways, uh, <laughs> which, ah, you know, ah. right around this time, and uh, yeah. also stars Soul Chimer Hoffman. Um, so Little like Hero it. ruined this movie for me, and Magnolia ruined this movie for John. Okay, <laughs> no, no, no. It's not. It's not. A, it's not like it's you know. I you know I I immediately dismiss it because the score was. I just. It's not my. It's not for me. The score is terrible. Theodore but I understand Shapiro. it. Sorry. What? Oh, Theodore sorry. Shapiro from Post Square. Okay. Um, I like uh, I like Hoffman. I think his performance is like really good in this. Like he's so he's just so controlled. Like he he has a very like he makes it look very very easy what he's doing in all of his performances. But this one is just uh, like he doesn't have a ton of big moments in this. Like he normally has those performances, you know, where he has to have these blow-ups or, like, emote really hard at some point. And this one he has, like, a little bit of that whenever he comes up with the idea, you know, of the purity thing, and, and he goes and pitches it back to the people and everything, which is a good moment, too. But um, he's just good. He's really, really good, and I enjoyed his sort of back-and-forth with Rebecca Pigeon, with the exception of the 
terrible line that we mentioned a minute ago. And uh, I feel similarly to Kevin. I wish that the – I wish it would have – like you said, it had no plot, but it does, like, have plot in the last, like, 25 minutes, and I wish it didn't. Yeah. I wish it would just continue to be, like, a languid – let's get this movie made. We don't know what we're doing. Like we got to fix it. We don't have money. This is a problem and we can't fix this problem. Nobody can find him a typewriter. And you know, like <laughs> I liked all that. Even, even his romance with Rebecca pigeon is like a little bit too much. Like I, I, I would have preferred if they just sort of like, if it wasn't so, I mean, I don't know, that's a nitpick, but it's just, if it wasn't so like, you know, just like a rom-com essentially like, you know, Mm-hmm. Nice well, you know, guy meets nice girl, and it's like and everything sort of like falls into place really easily for them too, which is sort of a bummer. Like the way that, I mean, and and this is expected, which is like it's not, it's it's a, I don't, know, it's a weird criticism, but it's like that scene where Sarah Jessica Parker's character gets nude and tries to seduce him, um, which. Honestly, like I'm 100% with Hoffman. Like Rebecca Pigeon is adorable in this movie, and uh, Sarah Jessica Parker I've never thought was attractive. But anyways, uh, that scene is like I uh, there's tension, you know, based on like okay, you don't know where she went. He wants to keep her secret. This this naked woman is in his room, and he want he doesn't want to ruin his relationship. This new relationship with Rebecca Pigeon. And then she finally leaves and she's like gonna come back and like, oh no. And then she walks in on them, oh my god. But then like nothing happens, you know? It's just like, mm. she's cool, like she believes him, it's all good. And it's just like, I, I, while part of me wants to say, well that's refreshing, cause normally that would be like, you know, the, that would be like a, a, a bump in their relationship that he would have to win her back after that. And it's very, very cliche, you know? And they don't go down that road, which is nice. But I don't know. Maybe they could do something. I don't. It's, it's not. It's not. I mean, it's I, sort of an anticlimactic, yeah. you know. I really liked that scene because the tension comes from, like, we do not know where she is, and I love that Phil mm-hmm. Shore often also does not know where she is. Um, but when she comes back, I think that works because we just don't usually see, um, like, a character in Rebecca Pigeon's position, uh, acting just like an adult, like, like they are not a couple. Uh, they are not anything. <laughs> they, uh, and yeah, she's just, she's well, just, dumped her she fiance. just end her. She just dumped her fiance yeah. for him. She just, yeah, but also it's like, like that guy sucked. And so, yeah, that guy's a real it was kind of just like, <laughs> so. I needed, I needed like something so little to make me, me dump, uh, Clark Gregg. But, um, and I think this one works kind of alongside uh, the one later with Alec Baldwin uh, coming out of the room with uh, you know the naked Sarah Jessica Parker, or I guess she's in a robe, he's naked, uh, and Julia Stiles uh, does not act like an adult. She, and not, not that she should act like an adult, because um, she's not right. <laughs> and you know she she sees that. And immediately he's like, this man took advantage of me uh, and gets really mad, which, again, she has been taken advantage of. Um, but she was OK with it until she saw uh, Baldwin with another woman. You know, I uh, I didn't get the impression. This is just classic me. I did not get 
that she was. Is she? You're saying she's underage in this movie? I mean, they say it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but they don't. They say when? When do they say that? They say specifically she's a minor. Uh, well, like, they're talking Macy's about statutory. Yeah. Yeah, Macy's yeah, always talk like, about, Why aren't you in? Why aren't you in school? And uh, yeah, but then she says it's night. But then she also was working in the diner during the day. So I just assumed she was like a twenty year old. Well, yeah, I, I mean, like, then like Ricky Jay. I mean, she's like, obviously she's obviously grounded, young like, lady. Like the actress is not a minor, minor, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't get that she was Ricky Jay's daughter until the la- until like you know twenty yeah, minutes I mean, before the movie. Ended, so. That they did uh, um, say that earlier. Okay, but, uh, I, uh, I missed it. These are things I missed. I mean, it's not the movie's fault. That's my fault. But I and I mean, I, I also was like sort of. It's a very strange. It's an alien concept to have a movie where you have a mainstream film with lots of mainstream actors where one of them is a child molester, you know what I mean? Like, mm. and who is, like, like, I mean, he's played by Alec Baldwin and it's for comedy. It's not supposed to be taken, you know, and it's like, it's like a cynical take on Hollywood. It's just like a really strange sort of, you're not, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm not used to that. So I guess I'm not reading things that way initially. I wasn't expecting that. For one, like when they first started talking about that, I was like, this is a really weird thing to, to direction to go down. And I was thinking of it in terms of like, would this guy ha- like be in this movie still? Wouldn't they have just fired this guy? Like if he was caught with fourteen year old girls, like he, his career would yeah. be over instantly. But I guess well, it's two thousand. It's not now, so maybe. Yeah. maybe and he obviously he's commenting on. Uh, Sexual abuse that was happening then, the Harvey Weinstein shit that everybody knew was going on. So I'm sure mm-hmm. he was, that's part of it. And, uh, Corey Feldman and all that shit. I don't know. But yeah, so it's just like, I, you know, it's just a weird sort of, I wasn't, I, I immediately, I, I read the whole Julia Stiles thing as she sees in the paper what he likes and that he's into 14 year olds and she was going to go and tell him, cause she never says specifically that she's underage. She like hints at it, right? Like he asks her and he, and she like doesn't answer. So I was uh, assuming like she was pretending in order to get with him because she won't because he's a movie star. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that, I'm pretty sure she was <laughs> a minor. Uh, you know, because uh, I'm a dummy. David uh, and David Paymer travels around with statues on rape, and uh, right, pretty mm. clear. And you know, Ricky Jay does talk about uh, grounding her. Right. Right. Um, no, you're right. Um, I will the, say uh, okay. that. Oh, I just to say about Alec Baldwin. If there's <laughs> if there's anything that could have made the movie, like the like the movie was didn't work for me as a as a comedy. I laughed a couple of times, and uh, I will say if Alec Baldwin was in it more, I think I would have laughed more. Like if he had more to do, because his. His, there's something about his delivery. It's so, like, absurd. <laughs> I don't know. Like, the, when he has, he talks to that boy at the beginning, and that boy says he likes baseball, and he says, it's the national sport. And I was just like, and it just hangs on him for like a few yeah. seconds. I was like, that is very funny. And, uh, there wasn't enough of that kind of thing in there. Mm. I mean, did you, did you guys like, uh, Macy? I thought, I thought Macy was like the most, uh, like maybe like natural deliver deliverer of uh of these mammoth lines. 
I mean, yeah, I I liked him because, like, you know, like, as the kids say these days, like, he understood the assignment. Like, he knew, you know, the, like, you know, quick-talking, decision-making, Hollywood, you know, bigwig, like, and, you know, he does it, and he does, I think he does it well. Um, yeah, he's, like, he's I... He's also I, the actor who's worked with Mammoth the most, I mean, yeah, out of this cast, so he knows his dialogue pretty well. Yeah. Um and yeah, like when like when he's uh when he, when he's trying to give uh Sarah Jessica Parker that uh pep talk and then they walk out and it's like Oh, everyone can draw her tits from memory and then like and then like later on he says he says it, you know, with like not making a joke, not being ironic. <laughs> That was a good scene, actually. I, I really, I, I like, mm. I, I like the scene where he talks her into doing it, and then he walks out, and it's undone by that guy making yeah. that offhand comment. And I really like his reaction to that, like his just like pissed off, staring at him the whole time throughout yeah. the whole remainder of the scene. Mm. That was all really good. Yeah, um, like, I, yeah, I think, I think uh, Macy is, you know, he's reliably wow. great. I like Macy and. Mm. All these, uh, all the mammoth films I've seen him in. Terrific. Just, uh, Terrific. Yeah, I, just, I think that he makes, I think some of the more questionable lines happen, like around him, uh, where, you know, they're, <laughs> like, they're, they're having, like, this great sit down, everything's positive, uh, and as they, like, leave the room, um, he asks, like, something about the horse, and the guy's like, you can't actually, kill a horse and he's just like fuck me mm-hmm. uh and that's <laughs> stupid and he's like a director yeah. in this in like you know you can't really kill animals like since the 70s dude you you know this uh but he's, he still <laughs> makes that line work yeah like, I, uh we need we need sorry, a double for, we need a double for her tits send me pictures of tits send me lots of pictures of tits it feels like um Mammoth has like the uh same and this might not make sense to you guys, I don't know. Have you guys watched Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee with Jerry Seinfeld? Yes. I've seen okay. some of the, I've seen them before, but no. Or like interviews with like interviews with Seinfeld on anything, uh mm. anytime he's done an interview. It feels like um, Mammoth suffers from the same illness that Seinfeld suffers from, where they 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 lock on to colloquialisms and turns of phrase, and they think that they're funny. And uh, and Seinfeld can turn them into things that are funny because he's a comedian. Uh, but like they're not inherently funny in and of themselves. Like the idea of like um. It reminded me of, uh, there's a scene in here where the actor, those, those two, uh, those two old fellows who are talking to each other throughout the whole film, mm. where one of them says, it takes all kinds, and the guy says, I was wondering what kinds it took. And it's like, you can imagine, it's so funny to me that later on in the film, Philip Rahman is writing down what those guys are saying, because it feels like Mamet did that. Like he went to a small mm. town and heard <laughs> people talking and then wrote down what they said, you know? Yeah. And, uh, Mate, it just yeah. reminds me of like, like Seinfeld talks about that shit all the time. Like he talks about the, the, these infamous, uh, 
uh, secret recordings of Buddy Rich yelling at his orchestra, oh, how yeah. he included that into the and like the stuff that Buddy Rich is saying isn't funny, but he he incorporates it into like he lets George say it in a sort of specific <laughs> context and it becomes funny, you know. Yeah. So it's just like yeah. So it's like it just reminded me of that. It's like he and there's so much of that on like comedians and cars. It's like him talking about like the way he says this one thing and then they talk about what this guy said in this movie one time and it's like not comedic at all but they think it's hysterical and it feels like it feels like Mamet finds that sort of dialogue precious and mm. I mean he's obviously I love Mamet he's a great writer um, I've just never seen him do something this broad before I guess and inconsequential mm. like even though there is like a serious aspect to it in that it's lampooning this very dark subject matter but in a, but it's just so it's just so fucking lighthearted, you know. It's like it's so yeah, like tongue in cheek, like happy go lucky. I don't I, know. But it, I, I think it's, it's almost like Mamet had like a few specific things he wanted to do, and then just kind of mashed them together. Like he wanted to do a screwball comedy. He wanted to mm-hmm. to do like this dark satire of uh, of the movie industry. And put them together, and those are just maybe not a natural, uh, natural fit. Although I think screwball comedy on the set of a movie does work because it's like a very fast-paced environment mm-hmm. with lots of people coming in and out. It's like that that makes sense. But yeah, doing the screwball comedy sure. with um, uh, like sexual abuse uh, <laughs> yeah, that goes unpunished is is maybe a tougher sell. Even though I think. Maybe maybe I think like a little bit more of it works than than you do. It is, yeah. It is don't weird get to think me wrong. Subject matter. Yeah, it's just it just doesn't like it doesn't work for me. But I don't think that it's like offensive or anything. It's not like you know, oh my god, they didn't punish Alec Baldwin's character for doing like it's like whatever you know. He's, it's just like oh, yeah. they're that's not that's not what the movie's about. Like they're trying to get at something, you know. It's like. But, um, and he's also, uh, again, he's trying to make a comedy. He's trying to entertain. So it's not necessarily about those things, but it's just, mm. uh, yeah, it doesn't necessarily, if it's, if it's a comedy and it's not making you laugh, it's not working. It's like more, it's, it's cynical, but it's not funny. It's like, for me, it just didn't like, there are parts, there are things I can see what's supposed to be funny and it just didn't work for me. But that's like very, very yeah. subjective, you know. And, and I, doing a comedy on, for this is weird and we don't do many comedies as our deep dives because mm-hmm. it is just like, I laughed at this. Oh, I didn't laugh at this. Right. <laughs> uh, like all my notes are like, are, or for the most part, they are, they're lines um, or things that I laughed at. Like give us, give us some lines that you laughed at. So, um, what, like, yeah, I'll laugh at them in retrospect. Uh, I laughed when the, uh, the Scottish news reporter kind of abandons the news that he's giving to, uh, Let's see if we can go get a look at Claire. Um, just, you know, <laughs> a nice little frivolity. I laughed at the bow tie doctor at the end, which I think is oh, also yeah. like a very stupid moment. Um, but yeah. it was... going to take advice from some guy who accents his ears. Ties are meant to accent your genitals. <laughs> a bow tie. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, it's like, a stupid play on like, you know, again, he's having this crisis of consciousness and he's talking to the old wise man, except the old wise man is not uh, a wise man. He's an old drunk weirdo. 
Um, and, I, and I enjoyed that. What did you guys think about the fake court testimony that that Anne set up? I I thought that, uh, and I don't know if you guys assume this too, I assumed it was David Pamer, the producer, and them behind that, like making him, you know, sort of getting him out of the way. Like in case he did tell the truth, they could, you know, he didn't tell it to anybody who mattered. So, and then he leaves town mm. and then he's not, a, he's not a problem anymore. But then it turns out to be her and it you, makes yeah. less sense to me. <laughs> she's using, she's yeah. using her actors and the set right. for the play they're supposed to have. And that's sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's like a way, uh, that's like a way to, uh, yeah, it's like a way to incorporate that sort of, storyline that's been going on throughout the film that she has a play you know yeah yeah it's like it's deeply maniacal uh it seems impossible <laughs> for her to set up and uh and i just you know like her sort of so she just knew that if he like, if she gave him like this chance to kind of let him know how it would feel to lie, then it would all work out. And that, that's just, that was that's another thing. It's like, it's weird how it's like, not only does the plot kick in 25 minutes out, it's mm-hmm. a lot of plot. Like there's a lot of, yeah, going there's on. a lot there's that goes on turns. And it's like, there's been nothing until now. And all of a sudden it's really like there's secrets and he's discovering things at the train platform and <laughs> people are being arrested. It's like, you know, all kinds of wild shit going yeah. down in the also, last 20 minutes. I really would have appreciated if they had identified those, you know, teenagers who had set off those random fires, you know, old mill, the courthouse, oh, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Cause like those teenagers get brought up at least like five times in that last 20 minutes. Do you think, all right. So the should Oh, something, something I loved, and I've wondered if it's the teenagers. You know, they're um, the Huskies won the national or the state championship like every year in the seventies, except for seventy five. But there's a spot for nineteen seventy five, and he's like, "What happened in nineteen seventy five? And that old janitor like walks up to tell him the secret, but is interrupted, and we never find out what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, were those the teenagers? Old men. No, sorry. Um, <laughs> was the football team like caught burning down buildings? Oh, I mm. see. I see. I Maybe. Not probably not. It, but I, I enjoy that. Um, there's a lot, of, you know, these kind of like throwaway, unexplained one-liner things, or not even a one-liner, just like interrupted communication that is never brought up again. I I really enjoyed yeah. that. Uh, I also enjoyed go. Go you Huskies, um, which is a phrase that I don't think makes a lot of sense, um, but I like I like that everyone says it. Mm. <laughs> Why doesn't make sense? Usually, you just say like "Go Huskies," mm. you know, and like get, not Isn't like direct like, address. Thought, go go you Huskies. I thought they were saying go like the letter U is in like it's the university's team or something. It's the it's the high school. Mm. I don't know. That won like the state championships and <laughs> the Huskies. It's weird too because Winston, our mutual friend Winston, he posted on Letterbox. I mean, on a Letterbox, on a Facebook uh, about the Yukon Huskies 
tonight. Mm. Yeah. Close to the bubble. Which is <laughs> yeah, like they, they won eerie. again. Mm. They're going to the final four. Okay. Um, whatever. I uh <laughs> I uh I like seeing Charles Durning mm. in a movie. He's great. And I like David Paymer as the producer, as yeah. the super sort of uh at all you know, get the movie done at all costs. Uh, psychopath, and I—it uh, was fun seeing. Uh, did you guys notice John Krasinski? Yeah, random, you know? just young, young boy Krasinski, as like yeah, no lines. Somebody's age or something. It's the judge's uh, assistant, mm. the real judge. Um, at the end of the film, he gets off the train, and you see him for a split second. I was like, oh, "That's John Krasinski," and then he yeah. shows up again at the very end. Mm. Um, awesome. Good job, John. I have, oh, one other, the only other note I have is that the scene where, uh, Bob Berenger, played by Alec Baldwin, is dismissing lines, you know, on the bed in the hotel room. He's saying, I can't say this, and this line sucks. It reminded me in a very superficial way of, uh, Birdman, of the scene where Edward Norton is explaining what works of what doesn't work about the scene that uh Michael Keaton is doing in his play. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking how great it would would have been if they had gotten into more minutia of that kind of thing and like more about the movie making stuff and it, how if it wouldn't have focused on all this other you know the love story and the uh rape of children and stuff at the end, you know. <laughs> it could have been about the movie. It's all about the pre-production also. It's like it's a it's, mm, it's yeah. none of it. They're not actually making the movie in the movie, you know. They're like talking about making it and they haven't gotten their mm. point yet. But um, you know, but it's not I I didn't I didn't dislike it. It's just like lower tier mammoth for me, that's all. Mm. Is this high tier mammoth for you, JR? I think it is, yeah. Wow. Okay. And well I also you know, really like uh mammoth stuff, I think. Um, I love mammoth. You know, he's he's one of our uh great psychotic conservatives. <laughs> <laughs> he's a wonderful writer though, you know, you gotta Yeah <laughs> you gotta forgive him. <laughs> well it, it, I'm I'm messing out. I, I know that he likes or likes talking to Rush Limbaugh at the end of his life, but um, I mean, I, has he? He hasn't really done another comedy, right? Uh, uh, not that I'm aware of. So I, I think maybe I just like how um, sort of unique in his filmography this is, and like I. I really enjoy the sort of like ultra written, um, clever mishmash of sort of ideas that, uh, that state man has. And I think, uh, all the performances just like work. They work. He's done a couple of other, like he did a movie called things change, which I haven't seen, which appears to be a comedy. Okay. I've not seen that. Either. Or, yeah. With, uh, Joe Montana and, uh, Don Amici. Anyway, it's from the late 80s. Uh, oh, and he did that, didn't he do that remake of, uh, no, he wrote that, right? Neil Jordan directed that. The one with, uh, where they pretend to be altar boys or whatever. 
Robert De Niro and Sean Penn. Bruno oh. Angels. Oh, okay. That's a that's a comedy, right? Yeah, or, you know, a, trying to be trying to be funny. It's a remake of a uh, Humphrey Bogart movie. Right. Um. All right. Uh, I've actually only not seen three of his movies. Actually, mm. two of his filming movies. One short film. You like you so saw Phil? You saw Phil Spector? Yeah, I love Phil Spector. Actually, when I saw it, I need to rewatch it. I haven't seen uh, Spectre Oleana or Things Change. Oleana is one of my deep dives. Uh, it's been on my list for a long time. Oleana is great. Um, yeah, but thank you for making me watch State in Maine. Now I've got only got two left. <laughs> Winslow Boy and uh, Things Change. Oh, I really liked uh, Winslow Boy. Which, when I turned it on, I did not. it did not look like something I was going to really like. But it's good. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't look, it doesn't look exciting, but... Uh, <laughs> It looks like stuffy period piece. It starts off like stuffy period piece, but it it isn't that. Glad to hear it. Hopefully, uh, I get to it at some point. It's on my own watch list. Um, all right, ratings then. Uh, three. Hey, I'm going three also. Ooh. Ooh. Don't let that inform your opinion. Man. Do whatever you want. No, I. Uh, yeah, I I really I loved m- almost everything about this. I'm going uh go four and a half. Whoa, yeah, that is insane. No, you're cool. It's all good. <laughs> Let's. This is going to be a fun letterbox roulette because we got uh, Alec Baldwin, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Charles Durning, Clark mm. Craig. Who JR automatically wins if it's Clark, right? Because he's in all the Avengers movies and shit, right? So like that's uh It's not in all of that. Patty Lupone. Now, should we take Patty Lupone and replace her with I guess she's in a lot of shit. I was gonna say we could replace her with uh mm-hmm. with uh I don't know. David Paymer and Sarah Jessica Parker. I don't know. Who's Patty? Let's She was the uh mayor's wife. Mm. God, okay. Why is she? No right. Cool. I mean, she's a she's a well known actress. She's like a performer too, right? She's no, like no. A singer. Sorry, no. Yeah. I, more like, why is she in the first six builds? Oh right. Mm-hmm. I think. Oh, she, hey, she's in. Uh, she's in. Bo is afraid coming up. She plays Bo's mom. Oh, oh cool. So, you can look forward to that. And I will say uh, I hope it doesn't land on her because I haven't seen many of her films. Anyway, let's, uh, <laughs> all right. So let's uh, let's roll the dice. Dice app out here. Can you guys see that? Yep. Here we go. It's two. two. It's Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh boy. I think oh, Jerry's going to win this because he's seen the stupid um, Catching Fire movie. <laughs> <laughs> the Hunger Games movies. Although I've seen stuff he hasn't seen, I think. Yeah, you have. You never saw the Ides of March, did you? <laughs> no, I did not. I did not. I see actually that. think I have you guys. I think I have you guys crushed on I'm, this. I'm sure honest. you do, man. Come on. I don't know. All right. Do you want me to say mine first? Let's let's have uh let's have Kevin say his because he's. Oh. You're, I mean, no offense, Kevin. You probably have not as many as us, right? Twenty one. Okay. That's not, hey, that's not bad. It's respectable. All right. Jer? 32. 32? Mm. 
six. <laughs> Thirty-six, bud. I win. I win. I've seen Patch Adams, motherfucker. I've seen Patch Adams. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't know you I mean, I was a kid when that came out. Uh, loved I Patch wonder. Adams and Jack. Did you see Owning Mahoney? Uh, no. Uh, I don't okay, think. I He's got like some blockbuster uh, DVD covers like Flawless and Love Liza that I uh, sure. never mm-hmm. got around to. I saw Love Liza. I never saw. Fla- I saw parts of Flawless on TV once, but I never saw the whole thing. I should say that one of these, at least one of mine, is a is the Mattress Man commercial. So I don't think that counts, but <laughs> it's on his thing, so I logged mm-hmm. it. But uh. Both of these are features, so it's good. <laughs> you never saw um, it could ha- uh, money for nothing, rather, starring John Cusack. This sounds familiar. Where he went, where he he he, he find, the money falls off the back of a truck and he picks it up, like an armored truck, and he just like picks it up and keeps it. I guess not. Uh, Benicio del Toro's in it. Anyway. Um, Oh, yeah, I so also I won the mattress man. So, hey, well done. Uh, I win again. Uh, let's <laughs> let's, well, let's look at what our well, it, So let's also say, uh, Kevin, you get a break. He's like you were supposed Fair to the past two. Uh, I think you were supposed to the past two homeworks with me, and I bailed. On both of them, so this one's just me. Sure. Okay. Unless you really want to watch the movie, but yeah. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what it is. We'll see about the movie. It's uh, twelve forty-nine. One page away already. Oh, perfect. Twelve forty-nine. Okay, so um. Oh, I've seen this. And I've probably seen it too. It's uh, the Nibelugan Siegfried, the Fritz Lang uh, silent picture. It's two hours, two and a half hours. Uh, That's rough. Yeah, and it's this. Isn't this the second one? I mean, this is the first one. I can't remember which one's first. Can um, we do? Can we do another one? Yeah, we'll do another one. I mean, that's technically over over the limit anyway, right? Don't we say? Yeah. If I hadn't seen it, I'd be much stupid. Uh, twenty-seven forty-two is the new number. And I'm going to it now. Twenty-seven eighties, twenty-seven fifties, twenty-seven forty-two. Oh boy! It's the Giant Claw, directed by Fred F. Sears. All right. uh, from 1957. It's only 74 minutes. So, Are you guys okay with me watching a, a garbage monster movie? Yes. Sure. I think it's a fair punishment for you right, cool. for not cool. watching the movie this week. <laughs> it stars no one you've ever heard of. Um, Good. It's the way I prefer my monster movies. <laughs> Flying beast out of prehistoric skies. Global panic ensues. Okay. Uh, Kevin, next time it's uh, your uh, pick, so... 
What are you picking? So we are going to watch Bound from 96 oh, Bound. by the Wachowskis. Whoa. Bound is great. And this I figure, was... like, you know, haven't seen it in a long, long time. Figured, you know, it should be easy, yeah, this... easy fodder uh... to talk about. J.R., how have you not seen Bound? I, I don't know, and I've kind of just chalked this movie up to something that I, I would never see. Like, not because I don't want to, and not because I think it'll be bad or anything. Sure. Just, just, yeah, it's like, when am I going to get to Bound? And I'm going to get to Bound when Kevin says I need to. It's on Paramount Plus, so if you have that, uh, you can watch it there. Yeah. Um, it's also on Canopy. There you go. Perfect. I think I, I used to own the Blu-ray. I don't know if I still do or not. Mm. I really liked this movie a lot when I was younger. Um, I haven't seen it probably in ten years. I watched it a half dozen times at least, though. Uh, so this is a great, great revisit, or it should be. I'm excited. Cool. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Next time we'll be watching Bound. Uh, and uh, until then, thanks a lot for listening, if you listened. And you can visit our website at Podcast. Dot com. You can write us emails at filmingmacpodcasts at gmail.com. You can like our podcasts wherever you're listening to it at if you liked it. And uh, subscribe to it. And we're always recording. We're never going to stop. This is going to go on until we're in our 60s and 70s. We're mm. still going to be watching and recording this podcast. Absolutely. I'm saying it now. Mm. So, uh, can't, until can't then, back up. Right. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Goodbye.